As Eleanor Roosevelt said, America is all about speed. Hot, nasty, badass speed. <laughs> Seems like something she would say, but it's also that thing like people always talk about Faulkner. You know, he says the past is never dead. Uh, it's like the Terminator. Mississippi thing, Mississippi thing, Mississippi thing, Mississippi thing, Mississippi thing. This is Mississippi thing. Welcome to Mississippi Thing. I'm Julian Rankin here with Corey Christie. And uh, today we're talking about the last great comedy film era from uh, early 2000s into the early 2010s. Uh, this spans so many different actors, directors, producers, writers that have uh, become legends. Really, in my mind, it starts in 2003 in earnest with Old School, ends in 2013 with a bunch of different movies, and one I'll get into that I think is, is kind of a perfect high point before the wave crashes and, and breaks and things change um, a little bit as they have in the past 10 years. You got to figure there was talent and there's always been talent. Um, there was something else special happening during this time uh, in the culture that allowed these films to really take off, I think. Yeah, I think the culture was certainly a more wide open place back then. Um, you're really getting the first kind of moments of uh, social media as a great influence on our lives. Um, and I really think that's one of the things that ended up taking these guys down. Um, just all the access, every opinion getting getting their way out, uh, which is good. People need opinions, of course, <laughs> but I think we've seen it gone a, a little farther than it probably was ever intended um, with the way we, we take people down now in, in social media. And, um, you know, I don't know how these guys would survive these days doing some of the things they were doing that we thought were so funny, <laughs> but, um, uh, you know, it'd be very tough. And even if you see the latest Will Ferrell movies, it's just not, you know, just doesn't have the same sort of content and, it's very watered-down version of what they were doing. Yeah. I heard, a, I was listening to an interview with Todd Phillips, who, of course, you know, wrote, directed some of these big films, Old School, and then The Hangover, where he really set all the records. Hangover made almost half a billion dollars at the box office. But in the interview, he said that if you go through his movies, there's, you know, dozens of scenes that if they were made today, they just, or presented today, they couldn't be made. Oh, they'd be on the cutting room floor so quick. No, no chance. I watched one recently, Super Intelligence, I think it's called, with uh, Melissa McCarthy, who, in my opinion, is the funniest, you know, right now uh, person doing it, but it's just hamstrung by the times. Um, either trying not to go too over the top, or, and you can even see, you kind of feel it in the, in the movie and in the writing. It just doesn't, doesn't do the things we used to do. You know, it's, it's more about the storytelling than it is the laughs. And it's true that, you know, some of the stuff does not age well, but I think there's a lot of the, just the situational comedy that some folks today would say isn't funny, but I stand by. And it's the, you know, the kind of scatological, absurdist, chaotic humor that really connected a lot of these films. And there's nothing problematic about it, per se. It's just what some people might call childish or something. But when I found myself rewatching it, it was as funny to me, a lot of these things, as it ever was. And I think there's something to be said for that. And something in us humans that always enjoys whether it's slapstick and someone slipping on a banana peel or, um, you know, some blue humor. And I think there's actually something uh, important about that kind of comedy. Again, look back. I'm just going to rattle off a few. Old school, 2003, um, really kicked it off in my mind. You had Dodgeball. So Ben Stiller, Vince Vaughn, all of these folks. Anchorman, of course, 40-Year-Old Virgin, Judd Apatow, you know, really doing his thing and, and also in Knocked Up. Blades of Glory, Semi-Pro, Talladega Nights, The Hangover, Step Brothers, Superbad, Ted, 
Seth MacFarlane of Family Guy fame, and then 21 Jump Street, and then some more. So that's that's really a decade of, and just a few, Tropic Thunder was another that I remember just blowing my mind in terms of the, and hurting my, my belly in terms of the laughs, um, laughs in that film, and, and some stuff in there that wouldn't fly today. But Yeah, all of them have stuff that wouldn't fly today. Exactly. Um, so anything you want to say, I wanted to, to shout out our... Um, our listeners, we're, we're now available on a lot of different platforms, more than we have been in the past few episodes. Find us on Apple Podcasts and Google Play and, and really, hopefully, any of the ones you listen to. Um, it is the South. If you pick up any Dixie cup that has a string attached to it, you can hear us in Dixie cups or by eavesdropping on you know, your neighbors. Just stick your ear up to their kitchen. Um, we're in there, too. We're everywhere. So we really appreciate you all sticking with us and, uh, and growing this Mississippi thing movement but um, any, any feedback you want to give to the people out there? No, just thanks for listening to us. Um, get on there, subscribe, tell your friends. Um, I'm not even sure what happens when we get a, a lot of subscribers, but I imagine it's good. More people can hear us and that sort of thing. Um, so, yeah, get out there, do it, share, share, share. Yeah, we, we want to have, um, have some, uh, some advertisers. We want to be given spots to, for Vienna sausages and you know all these big the big big the big fellas the ones who really throw that coin around we'll do a Mississippi things in our advertising as well we'll, we'll you know things built born and raised here maybe that'll help us out um, but yeah help us get the word out to the world tell them about our great state down here yeah if actually here's here's a, a, a an opportunity if anybody out there is a small business and you want us to do a, a, a spot for you, if you want to sponsor an episode, it doesn't cost you anything at all. You just send us an email at msthingpod at gmail.com, and, uh, and we'll do a free spot for you uh, just for, for listening. So I want, to, I want to see some weird small businesses send in some, uh, some copy for us, and we'll, we'll read it and give you, give you some love. Yeah, we'll, we'll do our hand at live reads. We'll be, be wonderful at that. Um, <laughs> We'll turn. We'll do a jingle. I'll make. I'll make a jingle. Yeah, yes. There we go. I'm all about the jingles. So I'll play um, bass in the background and be the only instrument. Instrument that'd be could be fun. Um, so I looked pretty hard at some of this stuff for a connection directly to Mississippi. Um, I don't know if you did any research, but hopefully you were able to dig up more than I could. So here's what I came up with. I was watching um, Talladega Nights, and Carl Norton Jr. mentions Skinnerd. So that I took that as our connection because, <laughs> of course, of the plane crash. Not funny, but with Skinner, that's that's the most I could find. I looked up producers, equipment they use, everything I could think of, and um, they're not using a lot of Mississippi talent out there in Hollywood. Is what I'm saying, they need to. Yeah, I got I got some connections, and I've got some some uh, spiritual connections in terms of just things I think resonate. And to talk about Talladega Nights, which was the first one I watched, you know. Um, I wanted to do this thing for each film that I watched. I'm going to play a game called Mississippi Billboard, and this would be if you were to describe this movie in enough words to fit on a, a billboard going down the Mississippi Highway. And in this case, it was what they pitched to the studio, which is just Will Ferrell as a NASCAR driver. And you mentioned that Cal Naughton Jr., which is, of course, the John C. Riley character, he does mention Leonard Skinner. The actual quote, they're sitting there at dinner praying to baby Jesus over a fast food smorgasbord which, you know, that's already starting to get into Mississippi territory. And he's, they're talking about why Jesus is, uh, why Will Ferrell is praying to baby Jesus. And he's saying that he, like, he likes the Christmas baby Jesus. And then John C. Riley says, I like to think of Jesus like with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with like an angel band 
and I'm in the front row, and I'm hammered drunk. <laughs> exactly, yes. Um, so Skinner, Heaven, Mississippi, I, I found that connection. <laughs> yeah, and then that movie, of course, the it's governed by the philosophy, if you ain't first, you're last, which for Mississippi is, is apropos. Um, we, we embrace that to the very end. It speaks for itself, first, last, 50th, first. You know, folks that know... And what's up? No, that hits home. This is a very Mississippi statement. I think you, the perspective, though, changes all that. If, you, if you're 50th and you look at it the right way, you're first. And I think we have that outlook here in Mississippi. We're a positive people. That's right. That's true. And then Rick, Ricky Bobby, the two name, two first names. So if you live in Mississippi, everyone knows somebody's got two first names. So that's a very southern Mississippi thing. And the whole thing with this movie, it, to me, it was, it's, it's an easy entry point into anything Mississippi because it is just southern by nature. And, you know, when I, I remember um, my, one of my first jobs was working at this paper factory we, printing place where we would make basically uh, all this corporate, you know, deposit slips for banks and things. But it was a very blue-collar, working-class deal, and everyone's, you know, wearing their... Uh, you know, their Kevin Harvick shirts and jackets and smelled like ink and paper all the time. And I'll, here I am in high school and probably about the same time this came out. And NASCAR, you know, it, it's got a very, it saturates the South in a very uh, specific way. And even if you think about the, the car that, that Ricky Bobby drives, it's, you know, the sponsor of it is Wonder Bread. Shout out to Wonder Bread. If you want to be our sponsor, you know, we'll, we'll take you as well. We'll talk about you every week. We'll even eat it. <laughs> we'll make sandwiches. <laughs> And uh, the other thing I loved was one. There's a scene in Ricky Bobby's in elementary school, and it's career day. And his father, of course, who gave him that "if you ain't first, you're last" bit of advice. His father is a absent dad, and uh, Ricky Bobby doesn't think he'll show up. He ends up coming into class, but the guy before him is a Waffle House manager. And y'all, that's pretty much in a shell what it's like to manage a Waffle House. Ma'am, I don't know what else you want me to say to them, and I'm also going to need to know where your commode's at. Okay, let's give a round of applause. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Waffle House certainly uh, makes me think of Mississippi. The other thing, I totally forgot about Sasha Baron Cohen in that movie, too. Um, I guess I just hadn't thought about that hard. Of course, he's kind of the villain, the, the French driver, and he, uh, he tells... Will Ferrell in the bar when when Will Ferrell's put off by this this gay French man who's come to NASCAR from Formula One and Sasha Baron Cohen tells him like the frightened baby chipmunk you are scared of anything that is different and that was reminding me too again a Mississippi connection I think sometimes we can be resistant to change famously yes I was feeling Mississippi when I was watching watching that film and I'll end with this I did the most Mississippi thing for me and it's a personal story is that the entire film, starting from the beginning, is also uh, driven by Will Ferrell, Ricky Bobby's need for speed. And, that, you know, it starts with that quote that um, Eleanor Roosevelt famously said, America's all about speed, hot, nasty, badass speed. But it continues that he, even as a kid, he just wants to go fast. And every time he's with his mom going to the grocery store, he just wants to go fast. And this is a story, when I was living in Oxford, Mississippi in the 90s, I was about, I wasn't 10 years old. I was actually younger than 10 years old in this case, I remember. Um, it sounds serious already. <laughs> probably six years old. But we were building a treehouse out in our backyard, and we had this about an you know, acre or so of field, and it was a treehouse out in the middle of this field. 
and my dad and some other men were building this treehouse for us and he had his old Dodge Adventurer pickup truck. We called it the Green Lizard. And it was sitting there on this uh, on this slight hill that was going down into the woods near this treehouse we were building. And my two-year-old brother was sitting in the cab of the truck, just kind of hanging out. And the men are all up there building. And he, my brother, hits the, the gear shift of this Dodge Adventurer either into drive or probably neutral. And this, the green lizard starts going down the hill into the woods and just crashes into the woods, trees break. And so this two-year-old, my two-year-old brother has just basically, in my mind, killed himself or died in this truck going into the woods. It took two tro- tow trucks ultimately to pull it out. So my dad jumps off this you know, 30-foot tree house and starts running in there. I run home back to the house thinking, you know, my brother's dead. Turns out they, they, they get him, they get my little brother and pull him up and he's, he's got a, a hard hat on. He was wearing a little toy hard hat. And all he said as he had been going down the, the back, holding on, looking out the back window, they pulled him out and he just said, fast. <laughs> um, did he end up like Ricky Bobby? What's his, I mean, what's his, what's he doing? He's a, he's a money man at financial advisor. Nothing exciting. <laughs> Damn, I thought you were gonna say, and he ended up being a NASCAR racer. Yeah, he ended up driver. Yeah, yeah, he's he's a dirt track legend now. Amazing, that's very Mississippi. I've never been to the dirt track, but uh, you can hear him off in the distance sometimes if you if you know the the weather's clear and you're going the right direction. Yeah, that's like Southern culture on the skids. You know that band, Dirt Track Date. That's a classic. You gotta gotta check that out. Little little plug for some. I have to look into that. Should. So um, never heard that one. So let me let me hear some more of your because that was my first. So that was in 2006, kind of my early half of that era with with Talladega Nights. What, what were some of the ones you dove into? Um, so the ones I watched specifically this week, uh, Talladega Nights, which you, you went into quite a bit. Um, old school, which I hadn't seen in forever, um, and kind of almost forgot about it, to tell you the truth. I don't think. As funny as it was when it came out, that seemed to carry that same weight moving forward. But the amount of um, classic comedy scenes that I think ended up influencing, you know, a lot of this other stuff. I mean, that movie was was pretty amazing. But the the, the very classic for me, the Frank and the Tank scene uh, with Snoop Dogg. You know, he he drinks the beer, hangs out with Snoop Dogg, and runs around town naked. That's just um, Again, like that amount of surprise, you can't do that anymore. You know, you can't you can't send it out drunk down the street naked. Now it's been done. Once it hits your lips, it's so good. It's so good. That that whole thing. I mean, it's just uh, amazing. And then the other one, the Son William Scott guy, who is lost, but was also in the American Pie movies. Be careful with that. That's the most powerful trank gun on the market, huh? From a hundred. Ow! You just took one in the jugular, man. Whoa. Yes! <laughs> that that whole scene was just amazing, but also, you know, opens up all these other the movies that I don't think I thought about during the research for this other than seeing that scene. You you, uh, you reminded me of something back in, I don't think this holds true anymore, um, but when I was in high school and then in college, I guess my face was thinner at the time, and uh, people would always tell me I looked like Stifler. <laughs> so I had this Sean, Sean William Scott. Um, I, I don't know. I never thought it was, it held up, but I, I got that many times growing up uh, after I was in high school and college that people thought I looked like Sean William Scott. I don't see it at all. Maybe. <laughs> Who knows? I don't either. Were you, were you blind or something? I got a mustache and glasses now, so you know I got a different different thing going. 
I feel like a get off my line guy now, talking about how great our comedy was in our day. Uh, with these dang kids now, just don't know how to laugh. I'm going to throw another billboard at you. So the billboard for this next movie I watched is Toothless Dentist Steals Tiger. And of course, that would be The Hangover from 2009. Ed Helms, the dentist who pulls his own tooth out, and the whole film, you know, retracing the steps of these guys who, um, you know, went to, went to Vegas for the bachelor party and can't remember a thing. Four of us wolves running around the desert together in Las Vegas looking for strippers and cocaine. Through a night we'll never remember, but the four of us will never forget. I was trying to think about what, what, what a Mississippi bachelor party would be. Two things, you can either do the casino route and either go to Biloxi or Tunica and get into some trouble, I'm sure, or really probably more likely it's like go to the deer camp or a bonfire in a field uh, you know, with a camelback full of moonshine and Pedialyte, that's a, that's a, that's a crazy Mississippi bachelor party. Yeah, I think that um, deer hunting idea is brilliant for for that movie, The Hangover. Uh, you can get into quite some situations, like stumbling on some moonshine stills. Um, yeah, you know, just all of the fun, good old boy stuff you could do back there, wrestling with gators or whatever the heck they do out in the bayous down there. Um, but I think that'd be maybe a better movie. I mean, maybe they should have gone there instead of Bangkok in the, in the second one. <laughs> you have a Mississippi classic. Well, I also thought it, it, it's pretty Mississippi to steal and mess with animals. So they take, you know, they take uh, Mike Tyson's tiger and, um, you know, run off with it. And that's the same kind of thing when, you know, you go cow tipping. Or when I was growing up, we had goats in the backyard. So we had, we had goats and one of them uh, we called Nanette, or her name was Nanette, but we called her Bayonet because she had horns, and so we would we would purposefully jump over the fence and try to run from the goat and try not to get attacked. That's the kind of Mississippi, you know, activities you do when you're around wildlife and livestock. Mike Tyson. This is my favorite part coming up right now. And, you know, Mike Tyson, we don't have Mike Tyson here, but there's always some dude who's like a, a former fighter, maybe just like a bare-knuckle brawler. Who's Brett got Favre. Like a, yeah, Brett Favre or somebody who's, uh, <laughs> who's got like a wild animal, you know, that, uh, that he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't want you to go near. But they sit in Florida. There's not as many, you know, Tiger Kings here. But you're, you're, you're liable to find somebody in Mississippi who's got some kind of weird animal. Oh, yeah. I, I know for a fact there are people out there with weird animals. I've seen it. But, um, yeah, I think Brett Favre is our bare-knuckle brawler, um, Mike Tyson character. I, I think that's a perfect match. You know, he's from the kiln out there where it gets a little rough. So he'd be the perfect person to stumble into your camp because you stole his goat. So today I watched uh, The 40-Year-Old Virgin, which, oddly, I think it almost, you could just drop it into today without, with a few jokes cut out, and it would work just, just fine. Um, one of the things I'd never liked in this era was the um, romantic cop comedy, like shoved into these R comedies. Um, but this one pulls it off pretty good. It's pretty funny. You know, you have the wedding crashes where it just flips and it's sappy and kind of not so great the second half. But this movie, I think, really works it in there pretty well. Um, but again, my big surprise, my takeaway is you could take that movie and I really think put in theaters today, which is impressive. Yeah, that movie was legitimately well crafted, and not that these others weren't, but. It, it it doesn't fall prey to the same kind of political correctness that, um, you know, and, and just kind of appetite for kind of crudeness that some of the others 
would if they tried to come out today. I mean, Steve Carell, there's just there, there's something some so much heart with his performance, and then. Uh, but yeah, the, the, I, I loved his. He has these collections of all these toys, and you know he's got. He's just so so out of the out of touch. Okay, what time do you want to pick me up? Um. Uh. Let's see. Um. That's actually kind of a problem because I ride a bike. That's cool. Are you kidding me? I love getting on the back of a motorcycle. My boyfriend in college drove a motorcycle. So, I mean, yeah. so I'm cool. Yeah, I bet that was cool. I ride a bike, bikes, bicycle, bicycle. Oh. He, he has awkward down better than I think any, anybody in Hollywood. Um, with that in the office, you know, he just, he's perfect for it. Um, but yeah, the way they set him up, um, you know, there's, there's some problematic jokes in there, but, you know, at the time would have been perfectly fine, but now. But as I'm telling you, I think it's less than a five minute cut. And they did do some of the over top stuff um, with some of the girls he brings home and things and the the funniest scene probably the um, waxing of, of the chest hairs and all that um, but for the most part like you said it's just a well-crafted story and it's it's funny and holds up you know one of one of the things i did uh just to jump back to hangover for a second is um i thought was pretty mississippi is there's a scene in the police station where the guys get pulled in and in order to let them free the the police let them agree to be tased for all these kids who are doing you know like get scared out of whatever, get scared stupid or whatever, whatever the uh, programs are where you scare kids. Um, and, uh, and so the, the, the cops are tasing the hangover dudes for fun. That reminds me of just the, the urge to touch any electric fence. So if you have any friends who have like cows or, you know, goats or chickens or anything on, a, on any you know, farm life, there's always electric fences around. And there's, if, you, if I don't know if you've ever done this, but you just there's there's something in kids and um and I say kids but I think of any age and maybe it's just maybe it's just the guys but it might I think, just be boys yeah I think I think there's something human about wanting to just touch that electric fence and so that that's one of the most Mississippi things about the Hangover to me is just this um, this small little scene where you know they're tasing folks for fun the cops are and it just took me back to you know to to grabbing an electric fence and making yourself do it and. Yeah, that's the that's the jolt of excitement that we got to get down here. I think I hear you saying it's it's like Mississippi because we are dumb enough to electrocute ourselves. <laughs> so let's 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 pause here for a second and talk about this this concept of um, you know you can call it whatever you want. There's a, a, a segment of the film industry that wants to, to blame cancel culture for the downfall of comedies. Um, I personally believe there's a million coinciding factors that we've alluded to in terms of the streaming services and just the way that the film industry's changed, social media coming online and, and people, you know, just migrating to, you know, different content streams and so forth. But, you know, Todd Phillips is probably the poster child and he's gotten a lot of flack uh, from certain segments and then some people tend to agree with him. But regardless of where you fall on it, he definitely left comedy after The Hangover and then, you know, went to do films like The Joker and um, and he talks explicitly about this. He says, you know, comedies are based on truth. And in his opinion, truth has become offensive in the last few years. And this was him talking in 2019. He said outrage has become a commodity. And he says, you know, part of being funny is being irreverent. And according to him, it's not the best climate to be irreverent. You know, what, what do you what's your take on where we are in culture where there's so many important things to call out and so many opinions that you know, need to evolve, but there's also a sense that we can, 
you know, we can throw our, our, our fellow men and women and community members under the bus sometimes as well for things that might be opportunities for more nuanced conversation instead of just uh, shouting folks down. Yes. Um, to me, that's the big point. Uh, we have to allow people to be able to learn and get better. Um, if, uh, you know, a celebrity said something about their son, uh, you know, not having the orientation they wanted 20 years ago, you know, that was, it was a much different conversation then. And can we bring this person in? Has he done it again? You know, has he learned from the situation? Is he using the terminology now? And I think we throw that all away. So you deal with something bad, no matter when it was, we find it and you're gone. Um, but I think it's more about get, having an opportunity to learn and um, getting people better. I mean, in cancel culture, culture has a place. Um, social media has given more people a voice, um, which is big. But we got to be careful with the power and make sure we're helping each other get better and not uh, just taking people down for no reason. Yeah, yeah, no. And I mean, to tie it to Mississippi, you know, I think in, in Mississippi, not to say it's not like this everywhere, but just because we're here, you know, I think there's so much opportunity for you know, bridging divides, because it's, the, the truth is, is a lot of these conversations that happen nationally, and, and we're talking about films that were global successes, you can get easily pulled into the, these binary conversations when in, most often the things that are really affecting one's life are, you know, local politics or the decisions we make on a daily basis. We can certainly participate in, in these larger these broader conversations and call calling out things that we think need to change. But if we don't change the things that are happening in our neighborhood, then um, I don't think there's any, should be any expectation that just some national conversation is going to trickle down and change um, somebody's life here in Mississippi. You know, we're, we're going to be the last people to get, you know, a change uh, come down here. Yeah. We're going to be last to feel the effects, but yeah, the importance of acting local is, is huge. Um, you know, I um, try to live that example out here, but uh if you can't affect small things in your neighborhood, if there's a street light out, you can't, you know, just as an easy example, um, do that. You're certainly not going to light up the uh, the world. But I think that's a great point. People need to focus locally a little bit more and, and talk to each other and try to use take things as learning opportunities instead of killing opportunity. The other thing I thought, and, and again, just to move away from this criticism that Todd Phillips had of, of cancel culture, which, um, you know, in my mind is just one you know, one factor in all of this. You know, I think it's interesting that this period of film did emerge a couple of years after 9-11, and there was a great boom in comedy, stand-up comedy, and all comedy generally after that trauma. And uh, I think people, if you talk about 2003, when something like Old School came out, and that is the beginning of this really decade of of people just laughing really hard at silly stuff. You know, there was an, there's an escapism to that. And then, you know, really when it ended starting to get into the 2010s, that's following the recession. And maybe things stopped being so funny anymore. Maybe, you know, another yeah. trauma sort of ushered in a new period of introspection and loss. And then, of course, all the other things, you know, equities and inequities that we talked about, you know, racial and gender and climate and all the things that now we look back and it just seems like the end of the world is um, is upon us. And I want to I mention one more that I watched. So I, I watched three, and that's This is the End. And this was a film that had, again, an ensemble of just a, a, a crazy amount of folks in it. Um, and the, I think this actually serves an interesting purpose because it has actors all playing themselves. So this is James Franco, Jonah Hill, Seth Rogen, Danny McBride, Craig Robinson, Michael Sarah, Emma Watson, Mindy Kaling, and on down the line, Rihanna makes an appearance, Paul Rudd. And, um, and 
in terms of the billboard to kind of continue that game, there's a lot of Southern billboards that even as is could be repurposed because this is the end is an apocalyptic comedy. So if you see any of these billboards when you're driving down the, down the road in, in the South and in Mississippi, you know, these might say ready yourself for the end of days. I mean, that's, you don't have to change that at all or, or Hollywood burns for its sins. But basically what the film's about is the second comings upon us at James Franco's house. And everything about the movie, to me, feels like a crescendo of this era. You know, the, it's almost like the, you get red in the face if your mom walks in, those kind of movies. That's what this era was about. <laughs> yeah, that, nothing you want to watch with your parents, for sure. Um, I heard somebody say that about two hours ago. That really is a, a legit feeling when you're growing up. You don't want to be embarrassed in front of mom or dad or, or whatever. But, um, yeah, those movies uh, all definitely spoke to that. I, I'm not... So I've seen that, this is the end one time. Um, and I remember being funny, but for some reason I've, I've never revisited it. Um, but it was definitely the it tail end, I think, of that, of that era. Yeah, and it's called The End. I mean, that's why I think, at least in terms of this conversation, it makes sense to, to bookend. You got old school at the beginning. It's, you know, it, it's kind of the old school, the OG of this, of this period of movies. And then This is the End is one of the ones that really was one of the final movies, at least the final year or two of, of this period. So the other thing about the, uh, this era was the improv, the element of improvisation that all these guys and gals were, were bringing to the table. And in this film, Evan Goldberg and Seth Rogen wrote it together, and uh, Evan Goldberg says that it was 85% improvisation. So they just let these guys loose, and, um, and yeah, the results are on the screen. So basically, the, the world starts to end. They're all at a party at James Franco's house, and they, they end up being trapped there because L.A.'s burning. There's people, half the people were raptured, and the rest were left behind, including, of course, all these, um, you know, sinful Hollywood actor types. And, uh, and Craig Robinson is, is uh, sitting around the table, and, and James Franco, and, they're, and all of them, and they're trying to divide up the food they have, and they decide that everyone should get a fifth of everything. There's five of them there at the time. And uh, James Franco says to Craig Robinson, he's like, I want a fifth of your shirt, the bottom part. I'm going to turn into a headband. Wait, everyone gets a fifth of everything. I want one fifth of your T-shirt. I want the bottom part, the belly. I'm not sporting a crop top in your house. I cut that off, make a headband. You couldn't handle my midriff. And there's also, I think, just the the sheer kind of boldness of some of the choices they made. Michael Sarah is all coked out and a real asshole. Yes, the Michael Sarah scenes. I remember that. Yeah. That. Um, yeah. He, that, that's wonderful. He gets impaled on a street lamp that falls in when the the earthquakes start coming. Then Jonah Hill uh, gets possessed by a demon, and they have to do the exorcism of Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill is no more. Demon? Yes. <laughs> That's not good. That's not good. The power of Christ compels you. Is the power of Christ compelling me? Is that what's happening? The power of Christ <laughs> compels you. Guess what? It's not that compelling. Okay. The reason I, this is the end, in addition to it, in my mind, bookending it very nicely, is it has a departure point for for James Franco too. So the most Mississippi thing in in this film for me is James Franco. The reason that is is that same year in, in 2013, he also uh, directed or at least premiered the first of his three William Faulkner adaptations. This one was As I Lay Dying, and he filmed this in Mississippi. And um, again, it's a, the, the last thing he did before 
releasing a Faulkner adaptation is being in this ridiculous comedy. And so he filmed all that in Mississippi. And in As I Lie Dying, Danny McBride is in the cast. In the Sound and the Fury, Danny McBride and Seth Rogen were in the cast. So whether or not it was you know a direct example of what we saw with with Todd Phillips of leaving comedy and going into drama. Obviously all these comedians are still doing comedies, but I thought it was really interesting to see that right after, um, you know, this endpoint apocalyptic comedy, some of these guys started showing up in, in dramas, um, in these Faulkner adaptations. It's like a time capsule of sorts, uh, to, you know, be able to go back and open that up and see what the times were like, which is another, you know, odd, um, artifact of cancel culture is, you know, you're cutting up these things that are artifacts of time. They, they were done at a time. This is what life was like. And, um, you know, I think we're lucky to be able to go back and revisit, you know, what was going on at a given time. But um, let me ask you this. What was the last good comedy you think you saw? Like, what's, what, what, what do you remember? What was the last time you went and saw something and really laughed? Yeah. I mean, it's hard. I, I don't know that I can think of one. Certainly in the movie theaters. Um, I mean, you know, 21 and 22 Jump Street were in, like, 2013 14 which was a long time ago seven eight years ago i remember those i really enjoyed i don't know that i can think of uh the last real straight up comedy that i've watched yeah it's tough it's, it's weird it's almost like they just stopped um the last i could think of was 2012 the campaign which is um you know another will ferrell movie zach alvanakis that is in the South. On October 23rd, 1996, at 2.11 p.m., I farted in a very crowded elevator and blamed it on a war veteran. I would like to apologize to that woman. As a prank, when I was 15, my big brother told me you have to masturbate with your feet. And to this day, that's how I do it. At least three or four times a day, I say, get jiggy with it. I'm not proud of it, but I just say it, and it makes me smile. Too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I, I actually, now that I think about it, these aren't films, but the last real hilarious things I watched as shows, straight comedy shows, were things with Danny McBride, The the Righteous Gemstones. I don't know if you saw that, but it's got... Yes. Yeah. Heard. You know, they're, they're evangelists, and... Um, I really enjoyed that. That was that was probably the last, and that was only just a, like last year. Yeah, that was pretty recent. And that and Vice Principals too is another one of his. Very funny. Um, so yeah, maybe HBO and Daniel McBride can figure it out for us all. But they're putting out funny stuff still. Yep, yep. I think it's it's just migrating. All these things are migrating to different places. The actors are less tied down by genre than they ever have been. But to your point, um, you know these things that are perceived as problematic um, of the past. And, uh, and you could add so many things and so many pasts to that. But it's one thing to, to tear them down or to kind of shut them away. I think the big thing, whether you're talking about a monument or a symbol or, um, you know, a state flag, uh, things need to change. But I think the, the actual source material, the original thing, needs to be interpreted. And if it's ex- exercised from culture completely, then it doesn't get to be reinterpreted. Um, and so that's the biggest thing. That's why we have museums. That's why we, you know, have, have places for these things to happen, these conversations to happen. And, you know, this podcast is a place where conversations um, happen and podcasts and broadcasts all over the place where people get together and they're actually talking and sharing ideas and not afraid to say things. Yeah, yeah. We have to, um, you know, be operating in a place where we, everybody has their chance to say their thing. Um, I think you're right. I think it's changed whole behaviors and personalities of people reacting to it. Um, 
but a lot of them, honestly, in a good way, <laughs> where, you know, your discourse is a little more open, um, different groups of people maybe can feel a little more welcome. Um, we obviously have a lot of work to do in that area, but I think that's a part of the goal. So you got, you got to take that part of it and, and beef it up <laughs> and take maybe some of the less um, desirable parts and, and take them down a little a notch or two. And, uh, and to whatever extent, you know, films that, um, you know, we're talking about masturbation and uh, beheadings can lead us to, you know, to understanding the, some nuances about our own society and culture that, you know, there's a place for all this language and a place for all this expression and, uh, and, and it all can exist together and there's no problem with that. Corey, thanks for, uh, for being with me. Anything you want to say before we close it out? Make, make those comments and those suggestions in. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And if you have any suggestions for topics, if you, if you want to hear about anything, let us know. And if you're a small business owner and want some free ad space, shoot us an email. Or if you just want to leave us any kind of feedback at msthingpod at gmail.com. And uh, we'll see you next time. That is, of course, if, uh, if we don't get canceled. <laughs> so y'all remember, if you're not first, you're last. And be safe out there. This is Mississippi Thing. This is Mississippi Thing. This is Mississippi Thing.